We here at the Fumbling Four Network take mental health very serious. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255. If you don't like talking on the phone, you can text or start an online chat. Once again, the number is 1-800-273-8255. Welcome to the Resident Evil Lorecast, the podcast that will explore the various mediums and lore of the Resident Evil franchise, such as the video games, movies, novels, and more. And here are your hosts, Ariel, Daniel, and Aaron. Got something that might interest you. <laughs> Well, welcome back to the Resident Evil Lurecast. I'm your host, Aaron. And joining me is my fellow host, Ariel. She's a new I'm back, bitches. <laughs> she's a new host. She's a new host. Uh, she's a returning one. Get it out of here. No. <laughs> well, welcome back, Ariel. We're glad to have you. Yeah, it's good to be back. And as always, joining us is Daniel. Are you sure? Uh, no, get out. Go. Bye. See ya. <laughs> Bye, everyone. It's great for today. So today we're going to do our continuation episode of Resident Evil 6, where we're going to go over characters and B.O.W.s and those lovely little Easter eggs. Woo. Woo. -woo. So to kick us off is our lovely little co-host, Ariel. Little. I thought that too when you said that. <laughs> I'm older than you. All right. Well, okay. Lovely co-host. How about that one? <laughs> <laughs> well, I kind of missed, you know, the last episode where I could say, let's talk plot. Oh. I missed that. I, t- I, I said it, it for you. Fuck you. You probably fucked it up. You <laughs> <I> paraphrased. <sighs> <sighs> so let's talk some characters. Starting with Jake Mueller. Oh, Jakey. Has he got a blood type? Nope. Dang it. But his mass is 176 pounds. Oh, so we get mass now. We get get mass. (laughs) I need that in tonnage. Uh, No tons. No tons for you. No tons for you. So, Jake Mueller was a mercenary raised in Eastern Europe. The son of bioweapons developer Dr. Wesker. He was dragged into a conspiracy to launch major terrorist attacks with the C-Virus. Ooh. Bad dude. So he was born in a single-parent household in Edonia, but previously an emigre to the United States. Mueller's mother returned to her home country pregnant, having broken up with Albert Wesker. Ooh, she did the breaking up. (laughs) I already like her better. (laughs) (laughs) But did it work? Well... He was unaware of his son, actually. Ooh. So, drama. He gets juicier and juicier. (laughs) As she still loved him, Mueller was raised to respect his father, who he privately considered a deadbeat. When his mother fell ill sometime in the early 2000s, they fell into arrears, seeking a means to support her, Mueller entered work as a mercenary, possibly starting with the Edonian Liberation Army in 2007. Unskilled, he was quickly drilled by an instructor to taught 
to teach him not to only to fight, but to trust and support his unit. So traveling across the world, by 2009, Mueller was operating in South America with the same unit. It was wiped out in an ambush, Mueller surviving by fighting hand-to-hand with one of the attackers, himself armed with a knife. When it was discovered the ambush occurred because of their trainers sold them out, Mueller lost his faith and trust in others, and for the next three years built up a reputation for not caring for the ideologies of those he fought for, only caring about the money. Working for various paramilitaries, including those in the Middle East, Mueller built up a reputation for his lack of conviction. So that's what I've got on Mueller. I kind of feel for the guy. I don't. <laughs> Jake's still a dick in your eyes. Yeah, I mean, okay, so one th- bad thing happened, and then you're like, guess what? I don't care anymore. So no fucks given. <laughs> I'm going to be this guy. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like it's a little thing. I mean, he did get completely. He trusted this guy that taught him everything he knows only to be betrayed later on. I kind of feel for the guy. I mean, I get that part and I understand it, but just to be like, well, oh, no, (laughs) he says, fuck the free world. Yeah. I mean, he's still kind of a dick, but. So the next one I'm going to cover is Helena Harper. Her mass is 120 pounds, Damon. I need that in tonnage. (laughs) Still zero. (laughs) Helena Harper is an agent of the United States Secret Service, a federal law enforcement agency under the Department of Homeland Security, and a former CIA agent. She had a younger sister named Deborah. Had being the key word there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so little is known of Helena Harper's childhood, though by the time she reached adulthood, her parents were dead and her younger sister, Deborah, was her only remaining family member. Harper managed to get a career in the CIA But it is known to have been chaotic, and she became notorious within the agency for repeated cases of misconduct. In one incident, she assaulted the suspect of a serial murder investigation, where he made crass remarks in front of a victim's family. I don't really blame her for that. In another, she shot her sister's ex-boyfriend after he assaulted her in the breakup. I don't blame her for that either. As he was unarmed at the time, and... Inquiry ruled against her. The CIA made plans to fire her. This was changed to a segment to the Secret Service with the possibility of a permanent transfer to the Division of Security Operations. So, with her new position within the Secret Service, secured around 2012, Harper was scouted by National Security Advisor Derek C. Simmons, who with his family organization, was planning to assassinate President Adam Benford. Her record of misconduct, particularly regarding her sister, made her a perfect candidate for the mission, as these proved she could be manipulated. 
In June 2013, Harper was abducted by the family and taken to a secret chamber beneath Tall Oaks Cathedral. There, she found her sister already present and was threatened with her murder if she refused to cooperate with the assassination. Giving in to the demands, Harper joined Simmons' plan. Three days later, on Saturday, the June 30th, President Benford was scheduled to give a speech at Ivy University in Tall Oaks. As a member of the secret security, Harper's new job under Simmons was to cause a distraction and open up a hole in the president's protection to allow the assassination to take place. Though she succeeded in causing a distraction, she quickly changed her stance and insisted over the radio it was a trap. This was rejected by her colleagues owing to her erratic record. Soon after, a Lepotica was released into the halls of Ivy University with others around Tall Oaks. They released a fog which contained a sea virus, turning those that inhaled the cloud into zombies. Harper and Leon Kennedy reached President Benford's private room to find he had already succumbed to infection and were forced to kill him themselves. Refusing to explain her role in the plot, Harper insisted Kennedy go with her to Tall Oaks Cathedral to see the evidence in person. And then there we have it. Uh, Speechless for her. (laughs) She got shafted on so many sides. So many sides. Yeah. I mean... Okay, so... Assaulting a guy that was boasting in front of the family. It's, you know what? Applause. Yeah, it's a fine line. It's a fine line. I say go Harper on that one. So, but the whole I'm going to kill the ex-boyfriend because he assaulted her. I mean, okay, that's wrong. That's a no-no. Again, this is what this drives me nuts with Capcom. We don't know the... I'm not going to play the whole political yes or no game in this, but we don't know the entire backstory. You know, we don't know if it was mid-assault. We don't know if it was right after. We don't know the whole ins and outs. We just know she shot a guy after he beat her sister up. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I'm a sister and, you know, but yeah, we won't discuss that. So, yeah, that (laughs) is Helena Harper. I just feel bad for her because she got the shaft all the way around and in the end still loses her sister. (sighs) Deborah. You two are awful. (laughs) All right. Next up is Piers Nivens. Now, Piers, Piers is the one I really feel bad for. Poor Piers. Uh, well, you'll be happy to know that his blood type is A. Oh, he gets a blood type. Piers deserves a blood type. Do we have a mass for him? 154 pounds. Oh, that's it? Really? 67 kilograms. Huh. I want to figure out the tonnage on this. <laughs> Zero. He, he, he looks a little bit beefier than 154 pounds, but, you know. He carries it well. <laughs> so, Piers was a soldier in the BSAA a UN-controlled military devoted to combating bioterrorism. A former soldier in the U.S. Army, 
Pierce was placed in the BSAA's Special Operations Unit within the North American branch. Throughout his career, Pierce served under Captain Chris Redfield, whose high security rating allowed the two to participate in investigations outside of North America. Pierce was killed in July 2013 when an underwater research complex self-destructed. That it kills me because Piers Piers believes so hard in Chris that at the end when Piers had become infected and there was no hope for him he still did everything he could to get Chris out of it and saved Chris in the end. Well, he's a cool dude. Piers was awesome. Like, probably one of my top favorite good guy characters honestly in the entire series hunk steals it for me for top character but Piers is up there for good guys because man i i've never felt a character death so hard other than Piers. that really hit me All right, on to Carla Radamus. You get no blood type or mass. Sorry. What? None. What a ripoff. Carla was a genius researcher working for Derek Simmons and the one responsible for the discovery and creation of the C virus. Due to deception by Simmons, she became a doppelganger of Ada Wong and the eventual founder of Neo Umbrella. In her youth, Carla was a highly talented intellectual and began to familiarize herself with genetics works. Genetics work. Finishing a doctorate by the time she was only 15 years old. Again with these young prodigies. Her extreme intelligence eventually piqued the interest of Derek Simmons. She began to work for him in the development of viral agents and bioorganic weapons, and in 2001, started work on what would later become the C-Virus. Carla's work on the virus began with a sample of the T-Veronica virus that she had obtained, intending to use it as a basis for her new virus, managing to isolate the mutation characteristic found in the progenitor virus and subsequent viruses. She succeeded in creating T02 by combining this characteristic with the T. Veronica virus. The next step in the creation of the C virus was to combine the T02 with a sample of the G virus that had been obtained from Sherry Sherry Birkin, which would result in what Carla referred to as the perfect virus. She wasn't wrong. Let's get into Simmons's kind of stalkerish ways here, because after his interactions with Ada Wong in 1988, Simmons became infatuated with her. Ooh. This infatuation turned into obsession after she rejected him, provoking him to go out of his way to begin Project Ada. Operating out of a laboratory in the Quad Tower in China. Project Ada was a series of experiments with the express purpose of essentially creating another Ada Wong. An Ada that would feel for Simmons the way he did for her. 
Carla was the principal researcher behind the experiments trying to utilize the complete mutation aspect of the virus to control its outcome. Carla had grown to love Simmons and for years did everything in her power to use her newly created C-Virus to try and make Simmons' wishes come true and create the perfect new life for him. However, time and time again, there was only failure. She attempted the experiment thousands of times, resulting in such monstrosities such as the, the plot, <laughs> such as the Lepotica and the Gnesdo. Hmm. But there was no successful creation until <laughs> now. Get this; it's a really big number. Until the twelve thousand two hundred and thirty-fifth attempt. Holy cow! <laughs> the attempt that used Carla herself as the test subject against her will it was due to her genetic structure that, as Simmons discovered, she would make the prime candidate for Project Ada. Carla was tricked into volunteering for the experiment, taking the experiment under the belief that Derek cared too much about her to risk her identity or life. I'm just saying, never fall in love in Resident Evil. Just don't uh, do it. No, ever. <laughs> don't do it. So on April 30th, 2009, Carla's body was successfully reborn in the perfect image of Ada Wong with her mind fresh to be molded by Simmons. So on that day, Carla ceased to exist. Poor Carla. I know. I mean, she's still an asshole for making the C-Virus, but... <laughs> yeah. She truly had a fate worse than death. I... <laughs> to be your lover's... lover? Like, I mean, <laughs> Ada wasn't his lover. You though, weren't but... picked, but you were picked to become the thing I wanted you to be. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so... That's like a huge slap in the face. Oh my gosh, I really I hate how much they made me feel for her because I'm like, you created this monstrosity in addition to the other monstrosities that we have to combat in this game because you tried to make the perfect data but then to be twisted, manipulated and then turned into the very thing you sought to create for the person you love Ouch <laughs> I know, and you would think you would think that she would be happy, but who could ever truly be happy being a woman, not yourself, that the person you love wants you to be? Like, that's... The argument can be made, too, is, is that she may never have known because... She fresh, became... She became something new and had to be freshly molded. I hold on to the belief that there was something inside of her that knew... Just even a tiny little bit that's, you know, I don't know. Mm. Well, I can see it. That's her. Okay. Next is Derek Simmons, which I just explained a big chunk of him, but I'll go into some other stuff. So, Derek Simmons was born into a secretly historically important family, an ancestor of the Simmons 
Lyon had been a founder of a secret organization known only as The Family. This organization dedicated itself to controlling the world by working behind the scenes and manipulating governments, carving out their own wishes for the development of the human race and world powers. As a descendant of the founder, Derek eventually came into power as the head of the family, giving him limitless resources at his disposal. At some point prior to the Raccoon City incident, Derek Simmons met the highly skilled spy, Ada Wong. As the head of the family and a high-ranking government official, Simmons provided Ada with missions that she carried out with extreme efficiency. Efficiency. Her intelligence and her skill won Simmons over, and he eventually became more and more infatuated with her. As unrequited feelings aside, the work relationship between the two did not last. As the major hand in the sterilization operation, it was Simmons behind the complete destruction of Raccoon City in 1998. With Raccoon City having been a key point for Simmons's research, and the prospective usage of bioweapons. Throughout the world, Simmons had obtained all of the information he needed from the incident and thus acted quickly to see to it that all evidence of the truth with the Umbrella Corporation and the U.S. government's involvement was, in was destroyed. Pushing the administration to destroy the city, Simmons's extreme, ex extreme decision did not sit well for Ada. The act provoked Ada to leave his company, breaking off all contact. Ada's actions drove Simmons mad, pushing him over the edge and driving him to do something most unthinkable, kidnapping thousands of women and attempting to create his own Ada Wong for his own purposes. And the rest after that is about what I had talked about with Project Ada, so... This guy's a dick. <laughs> so he's like the Emperor Palpatine of Resident Evil. Oh, big time. He's like, he's a whiny old bitch. <laughs> oh, she didn't love me, so I'm going to create one. <laughs> but yeah, but he did orchestrate Raccoon City's destruction, correct? Yes. So I just see him going, do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, what a dick. I can't even with you. So, I've got Adam Benford. Adam Benford. It, that just sounds like a really dickish name. My name's Adam Benford. I like the way you say that. <laughs> you play a character to show up Mark as a stuck-up character in Cthulhu. <laughs> My name is Adam Benford. But you do realize he's the president, right? President Adam Benford was Leon's recruiter into the Division of Security Operations, years prior and had a close friendship with him. Adam also had some degree of military experience. He was killed in a terrorist attack orchestrated by Dick Simmons. I mean, Derek Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> Dick Simmons. My bad. Guess my speech isn't up to par Oh my still. gosh. <laughs> And that's what we've got on president. Adam Binford. Ah, <laughs> oh, gosh. Good guy. Good guy. 
<laughs> are you are you sure about that? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. I mean, he's the reason we have Leon today. I mean, a, a lot of people are responsible for the Leon we have today, but I mean, he played a big part in it. You know, he kind of he got Leon to the point where he's at and was kind of like a really trusted mentor for Leon. You kind of feel that when it comes time for the president's death in the game. Leon's like really pissed about it. Well, yeah, he spent a whole game saving the president's daughter. (laughs) And he really wants to take it out on Helena Harper. Like once he finds out that she's part of the whole plan to get him killed, he really flips his lid. This game was full of painful moments. Full of them. Yeah, it was pretty painful playing it. Oh, did I say that? You're not supposed to rate it yet. Oops. So, I've got Finn McCauley. Was a member of the BSAA North American Division and a member of the Alpha Team in 2012. He served under Redfield and Adonia, along with Piers, Ben, Carl, and Andy. So, yeah, he joined in 2012 at the age of 22. Was assigned to a Special Operations Unit Alpha Team under the leadership of Chris. And they prepared a major operation to engage the rebel forces who were infecting themselves. Initially worried about his first taste of combat, his fears were relieved due to his knowledge of Redfield, who he trusted deeply. That boulder punching man of a man. (laughs) And the rest is basically what happened to the game. So I won't cover that. So that's Finn, R.I.P., and the last character I have is Deborah. Deborah. <laughs> we joke, but it's really sad what happens to Deborah. I know. Poor Debbie. So, Deborah was born on October 10th, 1992, and was four years younger than Helena. With their parents having died sometime before she turned 20, she maintained a playful and spirited personality as she became a university student. She was very close to Helena as a result of their parents' death. At one point, Deborah got into an abusive relationship with a man who beat her to the point of hospitalization. Helena saved her from the abusive relationship by shooting the boyfriend, inflicting serious injuries. Unfortunately, it was this incident which led to Derek Simmons considering using Helena as a scapegoat for his plans. So, Deborah and Helena were abducted by Simmons three days before the events of Leon's story and are shown to be held hostage by him in the laboratory beneath Tall Oaks Cathedral. So, yeah, the rest is basically what, you know, starts it all. Blah, blah, blah. She becomes a mutant. The end. 
<laughs> the end. Oh, sorry. You want us to talk now. Uh, so, um, I just want to list the characters I didn't go over because clearly we've talked about them. I've talked about them mm-hmm. before. So that, you know, there's Leon, there's Chris, there's Ada, there's Sherry Birkin, Ingrid Hannigan, which I like Ingrid. Hannigan's the only smart one out of the entire crew. She's like, I'm not getting in relationships with any of y'all. She followed the do not fall in love Resident Evil storyline. Yeah, as as she should. Mm-hmm. I just like her because of four and her witty banter with Leon. Just, and she's back again in six with witty banner. Yeah, I like her a lot. Hannigan's yeah. our go-to gal. Yeah, the, the cast in this game felt a little... It was good, but I was hungering for more. And we'll get into that when it comes time for reviews. But yeah, lovely little cast of characters that we have. And with that being said, I think it's time for us to transition from characters into a mid break. Well, here we are in the middle of the show. And Ariel, you stole my line. Me? <laughs> yeah, I totally did that on purpose because you stole mine. Well, you were gone, so we missed you. Mm-hmm. We're glad you're back. Me too. And before you get into all your thank yous, I want to thank the listeners for having patience with me in this time. I had a mini stroke and my speech is better, but still not up to par. But I just want to thank all of you that are listening for your patience and all your warm wishes and everything else. I'm doing fine. So no. Yeah. We love you, Ariel. Got a little savvy. That's okay. <laughs> well, while we're on the thank yous, let's jump over to thanking our patrons. Woo. Woo. So we have to give a huge thank you to our patron, our VIP patron, William Jackson, our all-access patrons, Chris Slate and Remington Cloutier. Uh, Thank you! Y'all are awesome. Uh, William Jackson uh, will be joining us next week for our patron chat episode. Uh, We fell behind a little bit, so we're doing patron chat a week later, but it's okay. So uh, be on the lookout. I will be messaging you uh, soon to set it up. But until then... We also have some reviews to thank. You ready for these? No. No. The first review comes to us from none other than Courier7. It says, amazing podcast. As a fan of the Resident Evil, this podcast does a really great job of breaking down the characters and BOWs in the Resident Evil universe. Aaron, Ariel, and Daniel do an excellent job of explaining the intriguing lore of the Resident Evil universe. Thank you, Courier. <laughs> we try. We do. <laughs> some of the stuff is very confusing. And we're going to get to some of that when we get to Easter eggs. Because the Resident Evil lore has been convoluted by RE6. But we'll get there. The next one comes to us from Etched56. And it just says, thank you. Love Resident Evil. And I love this podcast. Thank you for giving me more info on a franchise I love. You are absolutely Welcome. We love this series as well. Ariel has been a long time fan. 
me and Daniel jumped on the bandwagon a little later than her. She's been a fan since it came out. We've we've been fans since like what RE two, RE three. I remember when RE one came out. Mm-hmm. I played it. I loved it. But I was like, eh, this is this franchise is probably not going anywhere. It's probably gonna be like one Resident Evil like zombie game. And boy, was I wrong. I was a stupid kid. <laughs> well, you couldn't plan for any of the storyline the way Capcom is. Yeah. It's the Game of Thrones or Resident Evil. Don't get attached to certain characters. <laughs> or don't get like we said, love interest, because Oh my god. I remember like what vividly stuck out on my head when I was little and RE1 came out was the whole doors opening and there was just blackness behind it. Oh my gosh. Until the zombie you dogs. Walk through. Z- the zombie dogs is what got me for Resident Evil 1 where you try to open the front door and it's Yeah. Yeah. That was that was a great moment. So with all that being said, thank you again to our patrons. Thank you to everyone who leaves us reviews. Thank you to everyone who's been in the Discord hanging out with us. Welcome to our new Discord, people. Got quite a few this week. Um, just thank yous all around. Everybody's been super supportive of everything. Uh, last episode, we announced a big milestone for our podcast. Era wasn't here for that, so we're going to re-announce it. We just hit over 50,000 downloads for our podcast and have been welcomed into the Robots Radio Network. Woo. <laughs> no, I really am excited about yes. it. You all are awesome. All you listeners getting us there. Mm-hmm. You all are awesome and I appreciate it. I mean, honestly, we could put in hours and hours of work in this podcast, but it is not us that got us there. It is you. So thank you so much for that. Here's to another 50K. Here's to us growing bigger and better in the future and we are working behind the scenes to do some more awesome stuff with the Resident Evil lore cast and this year we've just decided we're going to go bigger with everything as much as we can so <laughs> with all that being said and our thank yous finished I think it's time for some RE merch Daniel are you assuming I I'm always to- assuming you brought merch which I did. <laughs> so, if anybody likes music Ooh. in a vinyl form, Ooh. there is Resident Evil 6 Original Soundtrack Limited Edition Deluxe 2XLP Vinyl Record for $39.99. Yes, that's almost $40 before shipping. It is on merchbar.com. Resident Evil 6 soundtrack. It is... Let's see. Capcom and Lace Records continue their international alliance with the Resident Evil 6 vinyl release. There's 31 tracks specially mastered for vinyl that will be pressed to two heavyweight 180G LPs housed in a gatefold sleeve with artwork by Capcom and designer Boris Monsell. So there is that if you want to get that and listen to the Resident Evil 6 soundtrack despite some of the game's issues you can at least listen to the great music (laughs) which it looks like a lot of it was done by the where'd it go says the rip roaring score for the dramatic horror title was recorded with the 90 piece Sydney scoring orchestra ooh so they went all out for 
Oh, yeah. Well, Ari always does. Come on now. The thing is, is I know these vinyls. There's vinyls almost for almost every game. I think Ari Village just came out. They look awesome. And I'm thinking of getting them. They look super awesome. We have our record player in the other room. Mine. Sorry, your record player in the other room. (laughs) They do look really cool. And they are a sure to be a hot collector's item in the future. So I'd look into them. And the artwork for that one, RE6 particular, is really cool looking. Exactly. So if you want to get it just for us, just for the artwork, we'll oh my definitely gosh. display that. Nobody's ever going to buy you anything, Daniel. I said us. I've never specifically. Maybe I have. I don't want to say that. You I'm calm a, down over there. Oh, gosh. I do want that liquor statue that's like $900 <laughs> that I did forever ago. Is that one of the first few episodes? Oh, my gosh. And that's all I've got before I continue on. <laughs> well, Ariel, what'd you bring for us today? So... This is actually what I've missed the most. Oh? I read an article. Oh! Much like I always do. Those golden words are back. That is actually my favorite line. And, you know, I read an article, Ariel, just as really catchy, (laughs) and I love it. So, anyways, I read an article. Much like I always do. And this article comes from Screen Rant. Summer Game Fest 2022. What to expect? Ooh. Yeah, it returns for its third year in a row without the competition from E3. So several companies are opting to participate this year. The showcase seems to be the place to be for gaming news for the year. Sons, Gamescom, Tokyo Game Show, and the Game Awards. <laughs> With that in mind, there's fair reason to speculate this showing will stand tall above the fledgling showcase's initial offerings this year. So, what I really want to go over on this is Capcom. Of course, Mm. it's an evil. So, Capcom is going to be skipping an individual press conference, but all signs point to the inevitability that the Japanese publishing giant will be prepped and primed to tackle this year with some big announcements. The rumor mill has been churning for the last half year surrounding notable titles like the much-anticipated RE4 remake and the previously announced RE Village DLC. In addition, Capcom has the Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak expansion for PC and Nintendo Switch on the horizon. Mm-hmm. So the release catalog is a little slim. Slimmer still is future titles on the docket. So it's more likely that the Resident Evil reveals will occur during the PlayStation State of Play event if recent rumors are trusted leaving the Summer Game Fest in charge of more details on these titles and updates. So, that's what I wanted to cover. Well, I'm glad you did, because the next one I have is none other than the state of play that is happening June 2nd. So, about 24 hours from now, give or take, from the recording of this episode... We will have more news. And my article comes to us from sportskeeda.com. And if you are on Twitter, you've been seeing circulating, I'm sure if you're a huge Ari fan, you've been seeing the state of the play. Mm. You've been seeing the state of play leak 
going all across Twitter. Now, nobody knows whether or not it's credible or whether it, you know, whether it comes from credible sources or anything like this. All we know is this thing's been leaked across Twitter everywhere. It's been across the news articles. It's, it's everywhere. What I have here is the best assumption from a lot of people. And you can feel free to go read this article yourself. Um, but this is the best assumption that of, a, of an actual state of play breakdown. So at 2057 to 2301, Resident Evil Village Last Hopes update plus PlayStation VR 2. This is supposed to be a game trailer announcement. So we can only assume that this is the Village DLC that we've been promised for a long time. In addition to this, at 2838 to 2951, we have slotted on this particular tweet, Resident Evil 4 2023 teaser trailer. <laughs> now I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that this is true. Um, we know it's been leaked that RE4 remake has been going on. We've seen hints at it multiple places to include PlayStation's own announcement trailers. So here's to hoping this is accurate. What you can probably anticipate is some news on the RE-verse. Probably news on the RE Village DLC and some other RE bits and bobs, I'm sure. So I wouldn't get your hopes terribly up, but this seems to be from the most credible source. This tweet in particular came from Xbox underscore Sirius underscore XS. So this has been referred to as one of the more credible sources across the Twitter leaks in recent years so like I said don't get your hopes up terribly I know I'm not but part of me still small part of me is just saying that's that's some big info drops to be expecting but again tune in if you're listening to this you've probably already seen it um, but if you haven't go check it out we are going to be active in the discord and on twitter as soon as this info drops letting you know as soon as possible so that's what I've got for today's mid-break. Fuck yeah. So with all that being said, I think it's time for us to dive into some B.O.W.s and some Easter eggs. Yeah! And here we are at the end of the show. And boy, is this one going to be a doozy. Daniel, what are B.O.W.s? <laughs> Too many. <laughs> So the first one I'm going to go over is the Brzak. The Brzak appears to be an oversized bull shark, though it was of human origin. It appears to be blind as it was not impaired after being struck in the eyes with a harpoon. And presumably it uses electroception to navigate. Ooh. It's not inception, electroception. <laughs> as other predatory sharks do. Its tongue is vastly deformed, boasting a bright orange extension covered in bony protrusions and takes up a large portion of the creature's head. This tongue appears to be capable of extending to ensnare its victims. The creature's fins appear to end in claws, which enable it to navigate rough terrain and pursue its prey through not entirely aquatic environments. That's nasty. Yeah. 
Sharks are already bad enough. Let's let this shark go elsewhere. <laughs> okay, so the next one I have is the Carla Spore. That's an interesting name. Yes. The Carla Spores were bizarre manifestations of Carla Radimus and therefore Ada Wong after she had infected herself with the enhanced strain of C-Virus. Appearing similar to the real Carla, shortly after infection, they represented Carla's growing mental instability. These spores were used by Carla to confront Ada Wong in a more personal matter, as opposed to be, as opposed to using her increasingly dehumanized body. There are three types of Carla spore, each more deadlier than the last. They are typed as Carla spore S, M, and L. Smallest type of Carla spore and the only type that can be destroyed with conventional firearms, though it does take quite a while. They appear as... Oh, sorry. Carla spore S is the smallest type of Carla spore and the only type that can be destroyed with conventional firearms, though it does take quite a while. They appear as gooey versions of Carla just post-infection and do not attack directly. Instead, they periodically grow boils full of acidic blood on their bodies which burst when an opponent gets too near or when they are shot. They are incredibly resilient to damage and will continue to attack even reduced to head, even when reduced to a head and lower torso. The best way to get rid of them is to weaken them with fire to the arms, head, and upper torso, then get the resulting walking legs to kneel to open them up for a melee attack. It is worth noting that Carla's Spore S manifestations cannot be permanently destroyed. They simply melt into the white goo that constitutes them and are absorbed back into Carla's body. Let's see here. Carla Spore M. The Carla Spore M is a bizarre manifestation that appears as Carla's body rapidly as Carla's body rapidly takes over the aircraft carrier. It shows up in two forms, either a mass of arms growing out of the wall or a smiling Carla face with twitching eyes. The eyes are a little more or the arms are a little more than a nuisance and will slow Ada down, but when coupled with a face spore, they become exceedingly dangerous. The face is both disturbing and dangerous as when it approached it will quickly split into a three-lobed maw and chomp at the nearest threat. Then you have Carla Spore L. The strongest and most disturbing spore type, the Carla Spore L seems to be a direct manifestation of Carla herself, created to confront Ada personally. It appears as a warped face plastered over an open doorway with two thankfully useless hands by either side. It cannot be destroyed by conventional gunfire, and this will only cause temporary damage that will quickly heal. It attacks by creating S-type Carla spores and by over-inflating its eyes with blood which burst and spray acid in a wide radius. In this form, Carla is nigh invincible, but the thinness of her body proves to be her downfall as Ada is able to blow a hole in her face and destroy the liquid nitrogen store behind her. So she was more of a <laughs> one-time nuisance. <laughs> That's what I have on the Carla spores. Next I have the Gnezdo. Ginezdo is one of several possible complete mutations suffered by Javo. This form turns infected humans into a hive of wasp-like creatures. They are led by a larger creature comparable to an insect queen and will instinctively defend it. 
When the queen dies, the hive will disband. So not much on that, but that's what I have for the Gnezdo. Would not want to fight a living hive. Next, I have the Chaos, which is a gargantuan creature appearing as a centipede-like cephalopod with large and small tentacles lining its lower half body. Its origins, however, are unknown due to the presence of a human-like face. It was seen to emerge from a chrysalid, making it a complete mutant. It was incredibly resistant to gunfire and to injury in general. It seems to have a weakness to electricity, as when peers attacked it, which allowed it to be injured. When it was injured, it tended to go into a safe place and form another chrysalid around it to heal its wounds. This added to its resilience to injury and made it extremely tough to kill. It was extremely flexible. Its limbs looked more like tentacles than traditional limbs, which may suggest that there may also be cephalopods involved in its creation. Chaos was at a mere 70.3% of its incubation at the moment of its release. Uh, no. So it's considered a complete mutation, but it's not fully done. Uh, that's intimidating as hell. Even at this incomplete form, it proved to be a great threat against seasoned BSS BSAA officers, such as Boulder Punch and Chris. <laughs> Hayas was at such a critical stage of metamorphosis that its translucent skin might have been a defect from its incomplete transformation. Its maximum height would be about the same as a 20-story building. Oh my god. It has the ability to change its own mass depending on the situation it finds itself in. If Chaos finds itself in an area too small for its gigantic body, it will transform into a chrysalid and condense itself into a smaller version. It also has the ability to grow rapidly in size when given enough time. It has the ability to heal its own wounds and change mass at any given time and could make it one of the most resilient BOWs. I'm glad it never reached 100% because I don't know if anybody would be able to take it out. At least a 20-story building. <laughs> We'll just do what we did the Raccoon City. Just wipe it all off. Yeah, that probably won't even kill it. Next, we have the Luzija. I said that entirely wrong. <laughs> the Luzija was mutated as close to... It was mutated as such to closely resemble a serpent in its body and shape and mannerisms through enormous in size. It was originally a human that was exposed to the C-Virus. It was able to easily fling an average-sized human male with great force instead of two primary fangs. The Luzija seemed to have a line of thick fangs along its jaw that bend forward similar to a viper's as it opens its mouth. It appeared to be blind due to its apparent lack of eyes, or at least partially blind, and as such resorted to using heat-detecting sense to locate its prey most threatening ability of it is its ability to blend almost perfectly with its surroundings. It does this by secreting a liquid over its body that bends the light around it. While doing so, the snake is nearly impossible to see with only a mild rippling haze visible when it moves. A flaw in this ability is that the inside of its mouth becomes completely visible when it opens to prepare for an attack. We got sharks, snakes. Where's the planes? Where's the planes? <laughs> Where's the tornado? There's another one coming out of those. 
Next, I have the Javo, which there is very, there's many variants of these. So let me go in here. The Javo are a class of mutant humans created from the injection of C-virus into the bloodstream. Unlike the zombies created by inhaling fumes loaded with C-virus, Javo maintain their intelligence. The name Javo and the names of their various mutations are derived from Serbian words as decided by the BSAA European Branches R&D Department. In Serbian, the word Javo means devil. Their appearance is identical. In appearance, Javo maintain an identical maintain an identifiable human form, though significant differences can be seen on a closer inspection. We mostly notice that Javo mutates to have multiple eyes, usually scattered asymmetrically across the face and forehead. There's no specific pattern to the eye positions and the eyes are of different sizes with as many as four small eyes positioned around large ones. The eye colors themselves vary from an off-white or pale yellow to a darker yellow or brown. The emergence of new eyes causes damage to the face and may result in bleeding. Elsewhere on the face, the skin is noticeably discolored and veins become more prominent. Javo teeth are seen to be uneven, jagged, and discolored. Mentally, the Javo kept their higher brain functions, though maintain the aggressive tendencies of the victims of other viruses such as T-virus. Javo groups are known to work together to kill uninfected people and can communicate verbally as well as they could before infection. Martial skills are also unaffected, meaning soldiers of militia fighters, meaning soldiers or militia fighters are just as skilled post-infection. Javo, even in their base form, are incredibly powerful. With one hand, a Javo is capable of lifting an adult human off the ground. Their regenerative abilities are quite adept, as are their tolerance of pain, being able to receive injuries that would cripple or outright kill normal humans. As with other C-virus infected, Javo body temperature is higher than that of humans. The more it must heal itself in response to harm, the hotter its body shall become. For this reason, when Javo finally succumbs to its wounds, its body shall disintegrate in a brief but dazzling flash of sparkling flames. There are many variations of this, which I listed in the last episode I'm not going to go into is there. Usually it's just a vague difference, but they usually have different ability. But there are many Javo. I can definitely list those off in the Discord if you want to ask me there. <laughs> and that's what I mostly have on the Javo. Next, we have the Lepotica. Lepotica is a creature that's taller than the average male human with pale yellow-green skin. Its limbs are long and lanky with long pointed fingers. The primary feature of this B.O.W. is its torso, consisting of bulbous pores that are capable of emitting a bright blue toxin. This toxin causes a C-virus infection that mutates those that inhale it into zombies. The Lepotica has a blue tongue which it uses to shove it down the player's throat, which can be fatal if he or she does not receive immediate treatment. It also exposes its tongue whenever it receives enough damage and gets stunned. That is what I have on the Lepotica. Next I have the Messick. The Messick resembles a human-sized crow in appearance and has the ability to fly and chase after their prey. Its behavior is similar to a common crow, however as it possesses a greater intelligence than most mutations, choosing to attack its victims when they are distracted by other dangers. 
Its main venue of attack is to grab its victim and after reaching a certain height, drop them, which causes moderate damage. They will also try to rake opponents with its razor-sharp claws. They're a rare mutation only emerging from specific chrysalids. During Jake and Sherry's data search in the Andonian Mountains. The Messick's head, strangely, is positioned upside down. It's a fun fact for you. And for some reason, they are vulnerable to flash grenades. Simply blinding them with a flash grenade is enough to instantly kill them. Which we had a Resident Evil 5 creature that was similar to that. And 4. There you go, Capcom's making it a thing. Mm. Likely because the bright UV light emitted from the grenades causes the creature to lose flight balance, immediately killing them once they crash to the ground. Maybe it's because their head's upside down. And that's what I have on the Messick. Next I have the Napod. The Napod's body experiences high eternal temperature, leading to its water content evaporating. It takes advantage of this to turn steam into a weapon against its enemies. Its body is also noticeably tough and bulky with a close resemblance to a gorilla. Parts of its body are surrounded by a hardened shell, most notably with the protrusions above its scapula area. However, right below these protrusions are vulnerable muscle tissue. The armoring is capable of protecting it against some firearms, though explosions are capable of destroying it, leaving the fleshy layer beneath revealed. The pod's armor on the front seems to grow right above its fleshy layer of skin, making it effectively bulletproof. However, its back armor doesn't grow directly above the skin, thus it becomes the Napod's weak point, as shooting at the creature's back would break the shell and reveal its fleshy skin. That's what I have on the Napod. Next I have the Agroman. The Agroman is a creature that is approximately 30 feet tall, albeit one with proportionately long arms and overdeveloped bone structure, seen in its legs, hips, and jaw. In at least one instance, there's a large rod-like device that connects to its internal organs and protrudes slightly from its back. It possesses impressive strength capable of picking up humans, buses, and other heavy objects, as well as damaging buildings and destroying gun turrets by punching them. Maybe we need boulders in there. It uses its weight to its advantage, employing a wide range of crushing attacks from stomping, smashing, or accidentally falling on its targets. Bone structure also made it nigh invulnerable, with even artillery having little effect on its protected areas. Despite this, Agraman has two visible weak points, the first being its raw and gaping mouth, and the second, if applicable, the eternal organs exposed by pulling the rod-like device on its back. Damage to either will stagger, will stagger the Agraman, forcing it to its knees. Creatures presumably of human origin, but whether as a result of multiple fused humans or is created in a similar manner to the El Gigante is currently unknown. When the Agraman is killed, it will disintegrate into an indistinguishable biomass similar to other BOWs of its origin. And that is what I have on the Agraman. Yeah. Next up, I have the Oko, or Ako. As their name implies, the Akko acts as scouts for the usually impaired Ustanak. Ironically, they have no eyes of their own, instead of relying on ultrasonic waves to track their prey. They're very small and mobile, flowing, flowing, flying on two wings that closely resemble those of a bat, 
Their sense organs are shared with Ustanak. When a target is found, they emit a flash and flap their wings to emit ultrasonic waves that Ustanak can detect. Their ultrasonic waves cannot pass through walls and other barriers. The primary feature they have is several glowing tumors on their body. When they are solitary and away from danger, the tumors are colored a bright blue. However, when they sense something nearby, the tumors suddenly turn red and they let out a loud, piercing shriek akin to a siren. That's what I have on the Akko. Next, I have Ross Lapange. The smooth white skin that envelops this creature is an exoskeleton designed to protect the slug-like part of its main body, located in the torso. Even if it's part of this creature's humanoid form is destroyed, it will not have any effect on the main body. The flexible nature of its structure allows it to pass through narrow openings like ventilation ducts and other tight spaces. Its primary weakness is fire and when it encounters intense heat, its main body will leap out of its humanoid skeleton to escape the heat. Humanoid exoskeleton. The most dangerous characteristic of this BOW, however, is its ability to survive limb dismemberment and regenerate lost body parts after they have been destroyed. It also is capable of detaching its limbs, which are then able to search for prey independently to ensnare them. It has proven to be nigh invulnerable to conventional firearms gunfire and can only temporarily incapacitate it. Only extremely lethal environmental hazards are capable of killing this creature. Should the lower part of the creature's body be separated from the torso, the lower body will be capable of spraying a toxin at potential targets. The distinctive feature of the creature is its long, leech-like proboscis that extends from its mouth in order to feed. The creature will drive its mouth into the face of a victim, devouring it head first. When it successfully kills its quarry, a new leech creature will burst forth from the victim's corpse suggesting that this creature implants embryos of itself into whatever it kills, allowing itself to reproduce by hunting. That's scary. And that's what I have on Rascaplange. Next up, I have the Shrieker. The Shrieker is a type of zombie that's very similar to others in that they exhibit the same type of dead gray flesh. Like other zombies, their skin shows signs of being easily bruised and damaged, though it is currently unknown if their entire body is as fragile as a typical zombie. Like all the zombies created from the C-Virus, their mobility does not seem to be degraded as some previous incarnations. They are capable of walking and running relatively unhindered. The most noble thing about these creatures is the large tumor-like growth that protrudes from a hole in the center of their chest. This growth seems to pulsate as it glows a bright red-orange color. Because of this growth, the neck of the creature is considerably longer to accommodate the sheer size of its organs. It is capable of producing a loud, ear-piercing scream that causes the growth to pulsate more rapidly and briefly deflate slightly as it loses its glowing color. And that is what I have on the Shrieker. Next I have the Strelak. Strelak is one of the complete mutation forms that the Jehava will morph into once injured enough. A scale-like armor covers its head while several horns lie around its, lie around its head and neck. It also sprouts a tail and somewhat resembles a frilled lizard. Despite its large head, a Strelak is one of the fastest chrysalid mutations in the game. Strelak's eyes are positioned asymmetrically with only a single eye on the left of its head and three eyes on the right. 
Strelik also seems to possess only one arm, giving an appearance of a tripedal creature. That's what I have on the Strelak. Next up, I have the Ubisto. Eh, Ubisbistvo. The Ubisvo is a powerful chainsaw, chainsaw creature created by the sea virus and hatched from a chrysalid cocoon. It has a shape that somewhat resembles a humanoid while its skin color resembles dark red organic material. On the right side of its face, what appears to be an eye and mouth are visible. It seems to have a unique mutation as its right hand appears to have mutated into an organic chainsaw-like weapon. Its heart, ribcage, and the other important organs are also located in its right arm. It is incredibly durable considering how massive voltages of electricity getting crushed under steel grinders and constant gunfire failed to put the creature down, only incapacitating it for a few minutes. Its death is caused by staggering its death is caused by staggering it into rotating helicopter blades, presumably because this shredded the creature to pieces. That's what I have on that creature. Next I have the Ustanak. The Usnak is a tall and muscular creature with extremely pale skin and a few remnants of long, wispy, white blonde hair. Its body is covered with deep gashes and there is evidence of surgical enhancements. Its face is horribly distorted and twisted, skin overlapping and stapled down in sections. Only one eye is visible, set deep in its skull with the eyebrow ridge hanging over it and its mouth is left agape with the only lower part of the jaw seeming human. Its most notable feature is its right arm, which was possibly surgically attached as seen by evidence of the skin being stapled together around the right pectoral muscle. The arm seems to be designed to use a multitude of accessories such as a large hydraulic powered claw with needles to grab targets and collect blood samples to several mining drills to break through rock walls or a chain gun attachment. The Usanak will alter its equipment depending on its environments deployed in. Other evidence of cybernetic enhancements exists such as the mechanical fingers seen on its left hand and a row of metallic plates along its spine. On one occasion, the Usnak has a human-sized cage attached to the back of a strap around its torso that we use to keep a target out of commission. There's an organ on the creature's back that dispenses Oko BOWs which it uses to detect its targets. The Usnak pursues its target ruthlessly but remains completely loyal and obedient to Carla carrying out her orders without hesitation. It is quick to alter its combat abilities depending on the situation, such as attaching a chain gun to its arm when assaulting a helicopter and will swap its arm attachments frequently. Despite the size, the creature is extremely fast, able to keep pace with its targets and catch up to them easily. Although its primary offensive tool is the weapons on its right arm, the Usnak is more capable than is more than capable of holding its own without this device and will engage foes in hand-to-hand -hand combat if necessary. Like the majority of the BOWs created by the C-Virus, the Usanak is extremely durable and can survive presumably fatal attacks including immolation, loss of limbs, and getting impaled with a mining drill. However, its intelligence surpasses other BOWs such as Javo. Unlike the Javo, it does not possess the ability to regenerate lost limbs this being the reason for its metal arms. Next one I have is the Whopper. The Whopper. And not a sandwich. Oh, damn. As expected, the variant bears a resemblance to other zombies. Whoppers? Yes. <laughs> Most obvious is the same dying great color of their flesh 
and markings that show likely bruising to be muscle tissue beneath it. Made apparent immediately, this creature's main identifier is its sheer size. Aside from being taller than the average male human, its body mass is also substantially greater than normal. The amount of fatty tissue is likely what makes these zombies considerably more resistant to gunfire, which have pieces of their body easily torn off. Having to support their gigantic bodies, the legs and feet of whoppers have become swollen and weak, which now serve as their weak spots. Its size also seems to give it the advantage of strength. It is shown being capable of easily knocking a person back with a single punch, as well as lifting them up to head level with extreme ease. Because of its bulk, this type of zombie is extremely durable, although typically slow and lumbering, more so than normal zombies due to their size. They are capable of surprising bursts of speed as they charge at their intended prey. There is also one known as the Whopper Supreme, which is identical to Whoppers except for the difference in size. So you definitely don't want to fight that. And the last two B.O.W.s is the C-Virus Zombie, which these zombies have mutated to be considerably resilient, able to survive injuries that would likely be fatal in a normal human. Like T-Virus Zombies, these zombies also suffer from necrosis of uh, the epidermis and brain tissues resulting in brain damage, as well as the hyperproduction of hormones relating to anger and hunger. Rotting and discoloration of the skin occurs soon after the infection, causing it to look gray and dying, and in some cases, even showing what it looks like bruising or skin damage. Mutation also causes alterations in the eyes, which most commonly tend to the irises turning yellow or pale green, often with a bright red coloring around the outer edges of the iris. Like the T-virus zombies, these zombies also produce a great deal of stomach acid that can be highly dangerous when making contact with a living creature. Not only are they able to produce this acid, but they are also able to spit it across great distances. And the last B.O.W. for now is the Zombie Dog. This greatly resembles the T-Virus infected Cerberus or Zombie Dogs and also the Agilae. Much like the various types of zombies as well, the body of the creature shows signs of decay, causing the muscle tissue and veins beneath the outer fur and flesh to be visible. In some cases, the decay even goes as far as the bone, as some are seen with their spinal column completely visible. As per its base creature capabilities, they are very fast and capable of leaping great distances. This makes it very easy for them to pounce on an enemy to bite, to bite them viciously. Their speed and mobility, such as being able to leap sideways, makes them extremely difficult targets to hit as well as avoid. They can also be very resilient to damage from some weapons like handguns, so a shotgun is the best bet when confronting these canines. And that is what I have on the Zombie Dog C as well as basically all the BOWs in 6. It's a lot. Holy crap. You're welcome, Aaron. <laughs> that is a list of BOWs. So, I guess we're on to me. And Easter eggs. So I first want to give a huge shout out to Kai Morgan over at Ink Ribbon uh, on YouTube. And if you want to follow them, they are at Ink Ribbon Games on Twitter. Uh, They do. Kai does a great job breaking down Easter eggs and other parts of the Resident Evil series. And quite often in my hunts for Easter egg stuff, I come across you know Kai's videos 
great stuff. Easter eggs that you wouldn't really know about, little tidbits here and there. Really good stuff. Go check it out uh, if you get the opportunity. I'm a huge fan. Great stuff. But anyway, that brings us to our Easter eggs. And our first Easter egg is, of course, got to go for the Capcom references. So the first Capcom reference we have is Stagla Gas Station from RE3. Remember the gas station that blows up? Yeah, well, that's in this. Uh, You see this mostly in Leon's story. But you also will see this on Piers' EX costume. He's in the racer costume. You'll see that one of the sponsor teams is the Stagla Gas Station. So another callback to some Capcom uh, games is none other than the Ivy University. This is actually in Ace Attorney Trials and Tribulations game. So canonically, then that means that Resident Evil takes place in the Ace Attorney universe. Is that what we're getting at here? Or is it vice versa? Oh. <laughs> um, in mercenary mode during urban chaos mission, there is an arcade featuring a wide variety of Capcom games. Uh, Ghosts and Goblins. Uh, there's, It's a long list. I'm not going to go through, but there is a lot of Capcom games you can see in arcade cabinets. Is the Street Fighter one of them? I don't think You would think so. that's what you'd you would see think, arcades, so... Possibly. I don't know. Um, the next thing we have for Capcom references is it's a nod to Leon being a rookie. So during that same Stagla gas station event, you actually run into a rookie cop that you have to save, and they are complaining the whole time that this is their first night on the job. It's a little little nod towards Leon. Another one is Jake's whistle. Occasionally, you'll hear Jake whistle during the game, and even in some cutscenes, he'll be whistling. The tune that he is whistling is actually a variation of the music box theme in Code Veronica. Yeah, that's the same reaction I had. What? (laughs) So the last Capcom reference that I have here is the fight against Simmons. The last fight you have against him. The theme music that is actually playing in the background is none other than Ada Wong's theme music from RE2. So I like that little bring back there, too. The next Easter egg have is Helena wasn't actually supposed to be part of this game. Helena was actually supposed to be Claire instead. However, there were some can't. Mm. However, there were some continuity issues with it. Mainly the fact that while RE6 was in development, so too was Revelations 2. And you can't have a character taking place in two events that are simultaneously happening. Kind of makes sense, right? Ariel's <laughs> over here shaking her head. No. Uh, another one is that it really wouldn't have fit Claire's kind of like motif at this point. So the next one we have is none other than the Rasclapange. And it's the hands, actually. There's a little known fact that when the hands attack you, if you're near a microwave, boiling oil, a meat grinder, 
or toilets, you can dispose of them. And each has their own little separate animation. And the microwave has me rolling because the hand just explodes in the microwave. And it's great. (laughs) So another one we have is that there is some very interesting concept art for Leon. That didn't quite make it into the game. And one of them I'm really disappointed in. I'm not going to go through all the concept art for all the characters. They all had some fantastic stuff. But these two are the ones that really stood out to me. Which is shirtless Leon. And Leon with a merchant backpack. As in RE4's merchant would be on his back. I'm assuming in small form because I don't think. Oh no, full grown man form. How does he carry him? (laughs) You don't ask questions for costumes. Is it piggyback or the face away from him? It's it's, uh, like a baby carrier on his back. So he has to be smaller. No, he's just. He's got like a little seat he's sitting on. I don't think you have to check out the RE6 artwork book. It's great. It's fantastic. (laughs) So the next Easter egg we have is. Did you know that peers didn't actually appear for the first time in RE6? Canonically, he actually appeared in a different area of the RE series that we're going to talk about when we start getting to the books, which is the manga. So in the Mohawa Desires manga, it is actually a prequel to the RE6 game. So yeah, Piers actually appears in different kind of like storyboard style in this manga. That's actually his first introduction to the entire RE series. So he's actually a returning character just in a different kind of, you know, media format. Another one is, of course, in Resident Evil true fashion, there are hidden interactions. So when you're in the playground in China, you can actually play on some of the equipment, which a lot of people probably bypass because they're like, oh, my God, we're on a mission. I did not. I definitely played on the equipment as Chris Redfield. (laughs) Uh, Another one is Sherry can interact with things around her room when she's held captive, uh, like the TV, the radio and the bed. And I have to agree with Kai on this one. As he said in his video, the the bed is friggin' ginormous, unexplainably. So like that thing is massive is it's the size of like two king size beds. It's ridiculously big (laughs) and I want one. (laughs) Uh, And the last thing is Jake can actually play the piano extremely well, actually. This is one of the little interactions you can get in. The next Easter egg we have on this a lovely little list is that Chris was actually supposed to originally die. It wasn't supposed to be pierced. But Capcom scrapped the idea last minute because they were like, eh, I feel like Chris is a fan favorite and it might piss some fans off. Especially after the boulder punching. Like, you can't give us boulder punching and then kill him off. I mean, it would have been ironic if it was a boulder that killed him. <laughs> Just punch it off. Just I feel punch like it off. They could have gotten away with killing Chris off then because his final confrontation with Wesker in five kind of gave him the conclusion. Yeah, I mean, 
I couldn't agree more. Having him die off in six would have sucked, but it would have been a fitting in because Chris has done all he can do with his original story arc. Everything from this point on is new story arc. However, if they would have killed Chris off, we would not have the wonderful, hunky, dark emo Chris from RE Village. You know who we could have had? Who? Leon. Oh my gosh. They could still have found somebody to fill that void. <laughs> Maybe Pierce. Pierce wouldn't have died in this case. So I was talking about convolutions in the canonical storyline. This game actually created some, and this is not so much an Easter egg as it is some info drops. And again, I'm taking another nod to Ink Ribbon Games here. Great, great kind of synopsis of what got really misconstrued with this game, which is another reason why hardcore fans don't like it. And it is Wesker's son. And the fact that he has these abilities and, you know, this immunity and everything else is due to the fact that he's Wesker's son. The problem is when he was conceived, Wesker wasn't infected yet. Yeah, and it, there's a lot of other Again, I recommend go checking out the video because there's a lot of stuff and I'm not going to talk about it a whole lot here. We could talk about it in a future episode, but there's a lot of stuff that they had to kind of like rehash out or develop new into the storyline to make it make sense. Because originally they were going to bring Wesker into the game. They originally intended to be like, oh my God, Wesker didn't die. What? Because it was this huge theory at the end that Wesker was a clone and Ariel still sticks to this theory. Yeah, he's definitely still alive. So they originally were going to play with this, but they thought against it and went with the Wesker's son approach, which threw a whole lot of things off, which they had to re-institutional, you know, re-put new bits of info into kind of like hot drop them to get it there. But again... E. Grimman does an amazing video. I'm going to send you that way for that info dump. And it's great. You should go check it out. Uh, the last Easter egg we have here is the Ada clone. They don't actually refer to it as a clone. And it is widely speculated. It is because of the Resident Evil movies. In fact, Capcom came out and told their development team. It is not to be referred to as a clone or clones being in the series. Period. Dot. And it was widely agreed that it was because of the Resident Evil franchise movies. So instead of Ada being a clone, she's just a rebirthed human. I can see that. Um, yeah, it was. There's a lot of cloning in the movies. Yeah, like the whole movies are basically based off of cloning. Uh, yeah, it's it's widely known that Capcom though they accept it as you know Resident Evil they don't accept it as canonical they don't agree with it they don't pretty much don't want to affiliate with it a whole lot and there's a lot of reasons why and when we get to the movies we'll talk about those (laughs) but that is a short list of the easter eggs that I have for Resident Evil 6 yeah Big, long episode, everybody. So, we gotta get to the last juicy part. Ratings and reviews. So, we're gonna start with Ariel on this one. 
Okay. Be fair now. Shut up. I'm always fair. <laughs> Actually, to be fair, I was going to give two different ratings. Mm. So my unbiased rating, I'd actually give it a five out of five. That's surprising. Uh, five out of five Leons. Because story was there. The game kept you going. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of BOWs, you know, a lot of stuff to go through. So the unbiased opinion would definitely be five out of five. Leon's go play it. It was great. Biased. <laughs> Two Leon's out of five. And I give that because I remember I was so excited for six to come out. So very excited. I got all my hopes up and everything was great. It came out. I went, got it. And I was so disappointed in it. I was so disappointed because it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't what I was anticipating. It wasn't it just wasn't for me. But I still give it the five out of five for everybody else because it wasn't an awful game by any means. It was still a great game. Mm. But my little Resident Evil heart got broken that day. <laughs> so when I popped it in and started playing it. It was not what you thought it was going to be. No, it wasn't. And I was so sad. What do you got, Daniel? So I've just recently been thinking about this during this episode. So I think I'm going to go with four out of five Rebecca's. And I think I'm coming up with that. So how we talked about Chris's story basically wrapped up in five mm-hmm. for the most part. I think some of this story didn't necessarily tie up loose ends. But I think there's still like Leon's I don't think is fully finished. Yeah. And so I think with Chris and this, they were like, oh, well, we got to put Chris in here. And it's almost like a new story arc without, you know, I'm not, I'm grassman straws here. So, but I, <laughs> I think with the amount of BOWs and the story they tried to do, I think I'm going to give it a four. Mm-hmm. Because I think they're, they were trying to start a new arc in some way for somebody. Like, you know, because we've got some new people that they've added and they were like, oh, well, we could put this. And maybe the reason why we're not haven't seen anything of Jake or uh, Helena is because maybe they didn't get a lot of like fan. They weren't received well by the fans. Maybe Mm. it it was Capcom's like, yeah, we'll just they're not coming back. Maybe that was what happened with Steve back in the day. (laughs) Steve. Maybe he didn't have a good, good fan base. Mm. And that's why we haven't seen him. So, I'm going to give this a 3.5 out of 5 hunks. And there are specific reasons why. Storyline, I'm going to give it a 4. Gameplay-wise, I'm going to give it a 2.5, 3. Storyline was there. It was pretty good. They wrapped things up nice and clean. Yeah, there were some like convoluted issues and things here and there, but they cleaned it up in the end. It worked out. So, and the storyline was great. It made you feel at a lot of points. For a lot of people, you didn't want to feel about for, and then a lot of people, you just wish you didn't have to feel for because you just, you don't want to see them go. That being said, the gameplay mechanic of this, the gameplay played more like a action game than it did a survival horror. And that was kind of disappointing for me because I play the Resident Evil franchise for the survival horror aspect, not so much the action flick aspect, you know. 
it's not that it wasn't a welcoming change. It was more of a, I don't like this because it messes with my familiarity change. Not to mention the mechanics of the game were kind of buggy upon initial release. You had a lot of mechanical issues with like the firearms, the ammo. There was a, there was a couple of bugs here and there that made it hard to play. The online aspect was also hard because it was a nightmare getting connected with anybody to play this game. So all around, I'd say it's a 3.5 for me. And in the future, I hope if they do want to add, like I do a remake of this or add more content, I really hope they do because I also felt like the storyline was kind of short in a lot of this and rushed in certain areas. In other areas, it kind of dragged on a little bit. So anyway, yes, fair reviews for RE6. I still recommend go playing it because it is still worth a play and it is a blast to play with friends. Honestly, it's a good game to play with friends. And it's definitely a good game. That's mm-hmm. why I gave my two reviews. It's definitely a good game. Go out and play it. Oh, definitely. It's it is definitely a blast with friends. And Speaking of which, me and Daniel have been talking. I think at some point, me, Daniel, and Ariel might jump onto some RE6 and do a game with fans night. Sounds fun. Just got to figure out how to download it and get it back going. <laughs> I mean, I still own it, so. You do, yeah. We may have to go pick out some I copies. have for the PS3. <laughs> oh, yeah, you do. So, with all that being said... For our dear Discord fans, we did give it a fair review. We gave it a fair shake. It is a decent game. So with all that being said, though, I think it's time for us to bid everyone adieu. So thank you for listening and tune in next week. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight on the Resident Evil Lurecast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, tell a friend. Leave a comment and review. If you want to keep chatting with us about all things Resident Evil, you can find us on the Robots Radio Discord. You can also chat with us at RE Lurecast on Twitter. Till next time, stay safe out there. And remember, we might have something that might interest you, stranger. I'm your host, Maverick Stone. It's me, Gingerino42. I'm Roman. Hey, this is Sassy Lady. And I'm Jaxus. And we, we are the Fallout Rounding. Join us as we explore various topics from the Fallout universe brought from multiple perspectives. We can be found on your favorite podcatchers from Spotify to iTunes. Or follow us on Twitter at FalloutRTB or our email FalloutRTB at gmail.com. Be sure to rate, follow, and subscribe. Thank you.